<laughs> you can you can turn the podcast off now. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Hello and welcome to the first Mount Rushmore podcast of season two, the year 2017. I'm Jeff, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael locked in Mortal Kombat. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> do, 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 do. That's a returning Wait, gag some, from season some, one. That's just kind of like, <laughs> get ready for this. You're Chicago Bulls. You can, you can turn the podcast off now. <laughs> yeah, we're done. <laughs> Let me start over. Richard and Michael like to debate stuff. They did it all last year. They're going to do it all this year. In some cases, they debate categories of things and find out the four things that best embody that category. The Mount Rushmore, if you will. And uh, this year and this month and this week and this episode is no different. Uh, Michael has chosen for the subject the Mount Rushmore of the best concerts he's ever been to. Not just that Michael's ever been to. People. Yeah. Ever. The, us. Are each. Collective. Each individual. And that Richard's been to. And Jeff, I hope that you can uh, chime in with some of the concerts you've been to. Oh, you, you by saying chime, you already... Uh, outed my concert it's just a bunch of chimes <laughs> was it the Mannheim steamroller steamroller Jamie <laughs> Chamerson I I like this subject or I thought of the subject one I go to a bunch of concerts and two I thought I like some of the subjects that get into things that aren't quite so uh listy or that are kind of a little open to a personal yeah. touch and I thought let's start the new year off with something that is speaks to us directly rather than to you know Whatever the best bottle of water is, you know, is it Fiji? I mean, you know, Poland Springs. Hello. <laughs> so yeah. All right, let's get rolling. I guess I will be up first. I believe. Yes, sir. So I went ahead, and mine are kind of chronological, and by kind of, I mean they're chronological. I listed mine the same way. I didn't have categories, but I just I said, you know what? Let's keep it by year. Yeah. You can you can imagine a young man, Freddie? Right. Eager. In the spring of his youth. First one is age 16. Ooh, man wow. Freddie. Um so this is January 25th, 1992 at Fresno's Celand Arena. Uh this is a bill with Rush headlining and Primus as your opening act. Wow. I love when like a band like Primus is the opener that could very well Wait, what year was this? Uh, 92. So it was, it was the Sailing the Seas of Cheese. I guess uh, they, they would have been still headlining. Well, they were. I went and looked this up, by the way. And if you guys ever want to research any of the old shows you've been to or anything like that, go to setlist, uh, setlist.fm. Oh, yeah. And you can, I'm sure you did you use this for your uh, research? I'll tell a story in a sec. <laughs> okay. So I went and looked this up. And, then, and, and Primus had actually headlined several times in Fresno before this, but not like a smaller, like, theater or club or something like this. This is like the big, you know, it's like 10,000 seat where the basketball team, college basketball team plays. Yeah. And so, do, do Primus have a three-point shot? Uh, more, more inside game. Oh, yeah. More, get hit, get less Claypool on the bus. Kind of big gangly, you know, and good hook shot. A lot of rebounds. A lot of rebounds. I played bass growing up, and this was my main instrument. It's pronounced bass? Bass. I played oh, bass. okay. That's what I I played bass. Says, I, I had said. a fish that I would just <laughs> slam against a wall, and I'd say I was making music. <laughs> they said I needed a restraining order from the fishmonger. <laughs> Didn't you also play uh, woodwind or something, too? I played uh, sousaphone. Oh, wow. Okay. Named after John Philip sousaphone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, but, you know, in played jazz band, played rock bands, and all that stuff. So to go see a show that was 
Getty Lee plus Les Claypool is like mm-hmm. a bass player's like yeah. you know dream. Yeah. Um, before the show, and this was also like the first big show I had gone to. Like I said, I was sixteen. You didn't get a lot of. The big acts didn't necessarily come by Fresno all the time. Sure. It was pretty easy for them to skip by on the way from uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. So this was kind of a big deal. I was in my rush rush phase, which is to say I was a teenager who wasn't dating any girls at the time. That's pretty much your rush phase. (laughs) So we got a bunch of us together. I actually, after I had bought tickets, I won two different, won two tickets from like the local pizza place that they gave away. Sweet. Look at Mr. Moneybags That's over awesome. here. That's awesome. And I thought, well, maybe I'll invite a girl. Asked like two or three girls out. <laughs> then realized, well, you know, these are actually, <laughs> I realized when I looked at, them, looked at them, they actually gave away obstructed view seats. Oh, behind a. a kind of like a, a pole or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, you cheap bastards. Be great if you're actually in a, a soccer net or something like that. Or you're actually underneath the stage. Underneath the stadium. So I wound up going. We went to uh, me and Ed's pizza before in Fresno. And this is where I pulled the, I'm going to play Wind Beneath My Wings seven times and then walk out of the, yeah. uh, walk out of the uh, pizzeria, <laughs> which I sure didn't go well. This is also my first. Uh, no girls, huh? Surprising. <laughs> Surprising. I know. Also, you know, also it was no girls. The Rush Primus concert. Yeah, I, bet, I bet. Ooh, this was also my first experience with the crowd shitting all over the opening act. Oh, wow. Oh, did they really not they get did, any love? Oh, they did not get Primus because it was nothing but, at that point, probably 45-year-old stoners who yeah. were like burnouts, yeah. you know, like classic rock burnouts yeah. and just whatever Primus was selling, they weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't buying. Mm-hmm. And guys were like, you know, it, it just reeked of bad weed. Can I ask you what era, what album were they touring on? Well, there was Rush, Pri- yeah. uh, it was uh, Roll the Bones. Okay. You know, the one where Getty Lee raps, that one. <laughs> and it was just, you know, people were like, oh, get off the stage, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. And it was, so it was kind of nice because I think they just sort of like said, fuck it. Yeah. They did like a cover of Cashmere. Oh, wow. Which was really great. Mm-hmm. And I could just, it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, they, they don't like us, so we're just going to do whatever the hell we yeah. want for 45 minutes and kind of play to the third of the crowd that actually cares. Mm-hmm. And then Rush came on, and it was a Rush show. I mean, it is everything you would want from a theatrical giant, you know, Neil Pert and his... 120 piece yeah. drum kit yeah. like rotating and, and doing all that stuff and all the theatrics and getty lee's voice that sounds great whatever it is yeah so that uh, was my first michael what's your first uh mine is uh from july 19th 1998 at the forest glade festival in Wiesen, austria Ooh, i went ac- across wow. the sea i was in college in my uh i guess my sophomore year and i was uh like Richard, you know, a young pup. I was 18. Was I 18? Was I 19? It might have been 19. Life you I was 19 and sad. And at the festival, I went to visit my mom in Austria for the summer, basically. And she kind of surprised me and got me tickets to this cure festival. And this was in um, uh, Wiesen. Which... Did she send you a cure package? <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> my mom lives in close to Salzburg. And it's a nine-hour drive from Salzburg to Wiesen. Oh, wow. So this would have been like someone giving us tickets to go see a show in Portland. <laughs> so yeah. if you asked your mom to drop you off at the mall in, in Texas or something. 
that would have been about it. Well, that accurate. But she arranged for me to go with like one of her family friends who's a little bit younger, who was probably in like his early 40s or so. Uh, so we took the train from Salzburg basically to Wiesen and he didn't speak English and I didn't speak German. <laughs> and it was a weird thing to attend a concert with someone who was just kind of doing my mom a favor. Wow. And uh, the amazing thing about the concert is that there were three things that I remember most. Uh, here, I'll, I'll read off the, the list of, you know, it was a festival, so a lot of people played. It was a festival seating. Uh, <laughs> you trample. Was it, was it Cure First and then Puppet Show? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Here are some bands that I didn't know. Garish, The Bates, Heinz Osveen. Oh, Heinz Osveen. I've heard them. <laughs> which, album, which album was Detroit again? <laughs> uh, Such a Surge. And then the three I want to talk about are Tito and Tarantula, Pulp. Oh, wow. And The Cure. The Cure is a headliner. Tito and Tarantula are a band that had one song that was vaguely popular. It was a song called After Dark, and it was from the movie From Dusk Till Dawn. I remember it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it was a scene where uh, Selma Hayek, is it, maybe? Was she in it? That was dancing with the snake. So they come on, and they play this song, and the crowd goes crazy. Things take a... Back then, things took a little longer to get over the over the seas, over to Austria. Yeah. So that song was new and hot and amazing. They played that song. The crowd went crazy. Then they went playing some of their other songs. And the crowd went deathly It's silent. all instrumental retro rock kind yeah. of thing. Then they played that song after dark again. And the crowd went crazy. <laughs> it was I've never seen a song played twice. And it was solely just like fan service. And they're, they're looking around, they're just like, All right, I guess we'll I guess yeah. I'll play it again. Then Pulp came on. Uh-huh. And this was right after uh This is Hardcore just came out. And right. Jarvis Cocker was in his most strutingest, just all over the stage. He was climbing the scaffolding and was just um, like, he was just amazing. I wasn't really into them at the time, but I was into them afterwards. Mm. And he just had like this very visceral and, you know, very Jarvis Cockery, sexy performance on stage that was just, it was just wild. And then The Cure came on and played just one of their they're known nowadays for playing super long three hour sets. And, you know, right now they're in their fifties, but this was about, you know, 10, Oh my God, it was almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So they were right in their prime yeah. and they were just playing huge sets. And they were doing this thing where uh, they were playing a song called a forest and they were playing like 10, 12, 15 minute versions of a song of this song that's normally like four minutes and just go off into like these weird deviations. And it was just very moody and very deep. And, uh, they were just mind blowing. Sure. And you know, it was, it was nuts. Emily and I saw them just this last year and they sounded just as good, which was even crazier. 20 years later, they were just, they were just as phenomenal, uh, a band, but to see them then to, just to have this big trip and this big weird festival thing where I ate schnitzel and that was the only basically thing that I knew and to stand around with someone being really awkward but still enjoy the hell out of it was yeah. was wild. Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, what was the night? Was it nine hours back? Like, so did you like that kid? <laughs> On the So I was left for like a day and a half. My mom's friend had gone back already 
And I was left with like one of their other friends. Uh-huh. And we drove back in his car in his BMW the next like yeah. two days later. We made it in like four hours. <laughs> we were just on the Autobahn and he was, you know, you can just drive as fast as you want. And he just busted ass back to Salzburg. <laughs> when you have a finely tuned sports car and a kid you want to get rid of, <laughs> you can go fast on the Autobahn. Richard, what's your second? Okay, well, so my second one is April 20th, 1993. So we jump ahead a year here. Also in Fresno at the Cadillac Club, which was the kind of, at the time, new, and I don't think it exists anymore, but kind of new, all ages, kind of rock and roll um, club establishment. And I went to go see the Mighty Mighty Boston's. Oh, fun. Yeah, and this was, they were, ooh, what tour was this? I believe this was Don't Know How to Party. How, how long after Clueless was this? I think it was before. Before? Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe it was before. So uh-huh. they hadn't really, like, they were still kind of this real underground oh, thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, Fresno, a couple of things. I had mentioned that Fresno was kind of the place, at the time, you didn't get as many big acts, even as you do now. At, and that also meant when you did get an artist there, one of two things could happen. A, they could not give a shit about playing in Fresno. They could be pissed off that their manager booked them at this stupid show. They thought they're going to get a day off as they're going between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Now they got to play this stupid show in this hick town. Sure, they wanted to take in Lompoc. Yeah, they'd really, <laughs> really wanted to get in there and see everything Los Banos has to offer. Or you could get the band that realizes, kind of feeds off the energy, because if, if, if you showed up and did a good show, it was a band that people are excited to see and you really brought some energy they would respond because they're not you know they don't get as many shows it's not like going to see a show in LA where it's just like you know you see you can go see any show any night of the week and this was a, a great example of the second one happening now Fresno has a really big ska community um band let's go bowling was probably the one of the first American uh, third wave I mm-hmm. guess that's what it's called Actually, when, when some of several of them went to high school with my brother, so I know a couple of them. A couple of them, one guy's married to a former classmate, so they're like really probably the biggest band in Fresno for like two decades. And there was this whole ska scene that kind of developed around it, and so it was just like something where everyone you knew went to the show, and it was probably about a 500, 600 you know seat show. And it was just that it, it's that night where the crowd and the band just clicked and they played their ass off and from the second they went on until their third encore or whatever it was you know the crowd was just hot you know they were inviting people to get up on stage and dance and skank and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. crowd surf (laughs) off you know jump off and and everyone was willing to accommodate that all the way and it was just like i said there's few shows where you go to and it's just whatever reason the band is is tuned into the audience and it's just like this magical yeah, it's sort a great of like feeling. thing. Then I saw them uh, a couple of years after that here in Los Angeles. It was for the question, the answers tour. And they played at the, oh, I want to say it was either, either the Roxy or the whiskey. And I, I could look it up, but it doesn't really matter. It was someplace on the strip and they put on an okay show, like a good show. It wasn't as good as the one in Fresno. And the crowd was just, again, it was that kind of like semi-jaded Los Angeles crowd. Probably half the people there worked at the record label or knew somebody at the record label or something. I'll get in. I'll get into LA crowds a little later. Oh, well, you good. Yeah. Um, got done with the show and we were just hanging out. We, I worked at the college radio station at the time by that point. Um, was just hanging out, wound up getting Angela Moore from Fishbone, who was just absolutely plastered. 
and I attempted to get him to do a promo for our show where he literally was reading. We had it written out like, hi, my name is your name here from your band here and just asking people to fill it in. Um, he was so drunk, he was actually reading like your like in a co- like yeah. like in a, like in a cartoon <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, hi, this is your name here, and, uh, and that's a good promo. Yeah, and then uh, Dickie Barrett came out, and we wound up talking to him for about oh, a good 10, 15 minutes. And sorry, who's Dickie Barrett? Uh, the lead singer of the Mighty Mighty, Bo- okay. Mighty, Mighty Boston's. Okay. Um, also, the uh, I think is he still the uh, voice of the Jimmy Kimmel show, the announcer? Oh. Oh. I believe he is. He might be. I think they're friends. Or friend something. of our friend Adam Joseph. And he, I mean, just legitimately knows one of the good guys yeah. in music and came out, talked to us for about 10, 15 minutes, was talking about how he likes L, like he liked LA, but sometimes the shows coming here, you just got stuck going to record company party and then this party and that party. And he was hanging out waiting for whatever the ride to come take him to his the record company dealer. party. Yes, plaid dealership. And he literally, as he's getting ready to go in the car, he's like, well, where do you guys, where are you guys going? I'm like, I don't know, get something to eat, probably go to Norm's or something. And he's got this really raspy voice. So it's, uh, I wish I could go with you guys. Uh, and got, it sounded like you know, Selma from, a Boston version <laughs> of Selma from The Simpsons. And he got in this thing and they had to like turn around to get where they're going. And he kind of just like waved at us and it was the saddest little wave. Oh, wow. Like oh, legitimately, wow. he did not want to go to this stupid yeah. record company party. Bird in a gilded cage of rock and roll. Exactly. Yeah. Rock and roll lifestyle has claimed another victim. Yeah. yeah. But but that LA, sh- that kind of just shows like the LA shows, sometimes you don't know what you're, you're going to get into with it. Yeah. But that, that Fresno show was just like one of those rare, just from start to finish, it was just on. That's fun. Yeah. Michael, you go. My second choice was from November 22nd, 2003. Uh, it was Death Cab for Cutie at the Showbox uh, in Seattle. Uh, opening uh, was Not a Surf and this little band called Smoosh. And uh, this was for Not a Surf. This was right in there. Oh, this is a real band again time. This was 2003. And their first album popular or their first like they had that one hit popular that came out like 95, 96. And then that was it. And then for almost a decade, they weren't really on the scene. No one had, they weren't, they weren't big or anything at that point. And I won't say they were big in 2003, but they put out a great album called Let Go. Is this the one that has Inside of Love on it? Uh, yeah. And Fruit Fly and Blonde on Blonde. And wait, they put out Blonde on Blonde? <laughs> no, they haven't. They had a song called Blonde <laughs> Oh, Blonde. okay. A, fella, a little fella and Bobby <laughs> Dylan put that out. But I remember walking into the venue and it's right down by Park, Pike's Place Market. I remember like I saw that not a surf was playing. I was like, oh, I, I guess so. But like they were incredible. Like they had an energy and they had like a newfound enthusiasm. Whoa. And they had a newfound enthusiasm. And it was just it was just wild. It was just great. like it was such a surprise to see a band that I thought that I had totally written off. And then we got to death cab who i really wanted to see and i'd seen them a couple of times before then i saw them at like a a, like a like a festival setting i saw them when i first i first moved to seattle in 2002 and saw them like almost immediately at like this festival that was downtown and then there was a new song that they were playing called the new year that had just come out or was almost almost out i think it was coming out the next year they were touring for it when I heard this song in concert, it was like that weird kind of life changing. Like they had like these two chords and they play. And we're just going to... And uh, 
like I could feel it like in my throat. I could feel it in my chest. And it was just like one of those weird. That's what she said. All <laughs> right. Do that right. Okay. Horrible. Go ahead. Way, to, way to ruin my moment. <laughs> With a Well-timed. That's what see, she said joke. But uh, it was one of those concerts where like I knew I liked the band, but I at that point I'd like love them it and converted I, you from a casual fan to yeah. a hardcore fan and like within like the two and a half years that i lived in seattle like they're a seattle band or they're from bellevue but i saw them six times whether it was at the show box i saw them three or four times and every time they'd come back from like on a tour they'd either start the tour there or end it there and it was the crowd was always incredible because it was always a homecoming and this was at a time when they were still kind of playing you mentioned covers earlier yeah, they were still like filtering in some weird covers. Like they'd learn a few while they were going at this concert. They played. They were doing a version of "All Is Full Is Love" by Bjork, and they played a "Free Free Fallen" by Tom Petty. And it was. It's always strange when bands that are just like on the on the edge of being huge. Because I think a year and a half later, like they were on the OC, and they were no longer just like the show boxes in Seattle's Death Cab. They were suddenly. Oh, this is the, the OCs. Yeah. They were the OCs, Death Cab. Death Cab for Cutie. And like, it was wild to see this band who had started on tour at this, you know, medium sized club and come back and be like, oh, they're much bigger than, than they were. Yeah. And you could definitely feel in the crowd. And they're always like, and they, did you boo them as you should? <laughs> they did um, put out, uh, when they were on tour and after 2004, they put out like a DVD of their, like, of their tour called Drive Well, Sleep Carefully that uh, has some parts from the show, from one of the shows that I was on, not, not that one, but from one of them. And it just kind of showed what like a touring band is like and how you're just playing almost every night and playing the same songs. And no matter where you go, one of the things they said first off was like, uh, you know, I might have played this song 10,000 times, but this person that's at the concert gets to hear it once, maybe twice. Yeah. And it's always special to them. So they have to play it special. So it's, so it's meaningful, and uh, goddamn, that was meaningful then. Is, are they the artists you've seen the most? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I've seen them, I saw them six times when I was just living up there, and since I've moved back to L.A., I've seen them two, maybe three times down oh, yeah. here. I've My, seen- mine would be John Doe from X. I've seen him solo. I've seen him um, in X twice, and I also saw him with the Knitters, which was like their country version of X. Hmm. So I've seen him in multiple guises yeah it's funny it's like i've never seen like ben gibbard like as like a solo act i know he's done some solo stuff and but like they're always a ticket that i want to get no matter what i I know it'll probably never recapture like that like those shows like the show box but maybe one day that's an interesting recognition that every day my job you know, I might be doing something that nobody really gives a crap about, but every day at their job, they're doing something that changes somebody's life or could be their introduction to their music or could be their first time they see it live and they want to have a meaningful experience. That's why we're going outside our houses and not sitting with headphones yeah. on. So, Okay, uh, we want you to have a meaningful experience with us at the Mount Rushmore Podcast, and that means talk to us for crap's sake. Go on the Facebook page and leave some comments on shows you've heard. Uh, leave some suggestions for shows you'd like to hear. Go to the Twitter and uh, tweet at us. Go to the um, website, and uh, uh, we'd love to get your opinion on that. And Mount, Mount, 
uh, download. Mount us. Mount us. <laughs> mount us. Please mount us. Uh, please go to the iTunes and download, rate, and review uh, any and all of our past episodes. And so we are sincere. Uh, it's a new year. It's a new season for us. And so we would love to do more talking to y'all. And we'd love to know what's on like your Mount Rushmore. Your, your Mount Rushmore. Yeah. If we are, if this is a concert where the singer's on the stage, we want you to sing along with us and uh, let us know your suggestions and what's like Michael said on the Mount Rushmore of any given topic. Uh, make this the year that you are interactive with the Mount Rushmore podcast. Okay. It's the second half. Uh, we took a brief intermission. Now it's kind of our encore. Um, and so we've come back on stage. Maybe we changed our shirts. Uh, we've wa- washed a little bit of the sweat off. New underwear. New underwear. Make uh, a man feel like a million bucks. You <laughs> got a full Heineken, not a warm Heineken. And so uh, now we're coming at you. And Richard, uh, belt out your third choice. It's my third choice. It's on November 18th, 1993. And it is Poor Fest 2. Live from the Whiskey A Go Go on the fabulous Sunset Strip. Oh wow! I thought you were going to say it's when I knew I needed to get divorced. Well, it's it's interesting okay. that you <laughs> interesting that you mentioned this. Was this was this a poor man joint? It absolutely <laughs> was a poor man joint. <laughs> so, Michael, I figured you would know more about who no, what poor man this? was. So, poor man was the original, I guess, host creator slash host of Loveline. Oh wow! Back he was in a real the scumbag, wasn't he? Late eighties. Oh, he was a total scumbag. Real big scumbag. Got fired from the show. <laughs> Because one one year he for his birthday he went on the air and gave out Bean from Kevin and Bean gave out his uh, home address and told listeners just to go show up. Oh wow! And like four hundred people showed up and they had to call the cops and like helicopters to disperse everybody. Yeah, it turns out that'll get you fired. That was a poor move by him. Poor move, man. So where was this again? It was a uh, Bean's house from Kevin and Bean. Oh, where was Poor Fest too? Oh, it was at the uh, Whiskey. Okay, and. Uh, so after he got fired, he didn't really have a lot to do. So I think he thought he was going to be like a Kim Fowler-esque Svindali yeah, yeah. and like start like promoting these unsigned bands and hopefully one of them you know, yeah. get, makes it and then he's able to be, you know, poor man, music, you know, maestro to the stars. So he started coming by the college radio station and I was a part of the show that was hosted by the general manager of the show. And it was kind of like a fake love line type show mixed in with local music type stuff. And he would just start coming in every week or two, just drop by, bring in some of these acts that he was trying to, you know, pawn off on us who invariably were just bad. I mean, just bad, like early Mm nineties hasn't got the message about that. uh, Music has moved on from the eighties sort of thing. But this was also when Sarah and I were sort of, starting to get together, hadn't really gotten together yet, but she was also on the radio show. We had a couple of classes together. The show happens and a bunch of us from the station, he was having a show that was basically at the whiskey. It was going to be like a talent type show for, or a, a bunch of shows with his bands. And he's like, Hey, you guys ought to come, you know, he's, you know, I'll get you guys VIP passes and everything. You can go hang out upstairs. Cause if you've been to the whiskey, there's like that second upstairs area that's like the balcony sort of thing that they have their own special bar and everything so of course we're like 18 19 year old doofuses yeah sure sounds great hi we're gonna be the whiskey vips he kept bringing this guy up by danny dean who was this greaser there's a band called mercury tilt switch (laughs) 
<laughs> you remember them. Sure. Right? Well, MTS, yeah. <laughs> I have all of their albums. Yes. And he was this Mr. Mercury of, tilts, which seems like something the mechanic would tell me to get me to give him a thousand dollars. Right. Yeah, you, you busted that you busted that Mercury tilt switch. Well, I, tell I, I you. didn't even know about that. Oh yeah, oh, you got geez. you got four of them and three right. of them are kaput. Well, here's a bunch of money. Is that will that fix it? Allow me to read the list the, the list of bands who played this show that I found on Setlist. Actually, no, I found it on DannyDean.com. Make sure you go there and see what a <laughs> What a what a what a swell looking individual. He looked like like a sleazier Mike Ness from like early nineties oh, like okay. mid nineties, if that's you know possible. And he kept coming by the station and he was putting the moves on Sarah, my wife. Oh, yeah. So hard. I mean it was like and it was like he tried to get her to sit on his lap when he'd come in to do something and she was like always trying to find ways to like not be anywhere yeah. near the studio when yeah. he would come by. So here's some of the bands. Wait, I just looked up Mike Ness. Whoa, he's pretty sleazy looking. So, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> easier than here, I can go. No, 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 sorry to disrupt. No, go, to, go to DannyDean.com. You <laughs> can see what he looks like. Right. Um, so, some of the bands that were playing there were Mona Lisa Overdrive, Alternative Effect, the aforementioned Mercury Tilt Switch, Shout, Soul, Soul Scream, which I believe was the band from Glenn, of Glenn from the real world Los Angeles. Soul Scream was a Transformer. I hate to say this to you. <laughs> Glenn from the real world was yeah. the transformer. Oh. <laughs> he actually becomes the shots. Yeah, he, he actually was. becomes a player in this. Okay, in the whole night, he transforms into bit. a player. <laughs> transforms player? into a guy I almost, who I almost got into a fist fight with. Oh shit! Also, okay. extinct and courtist. So those 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 were your acts. Wow! And so we go, we pile like eight people into our friends like catchback. You know, get over there and got our VIP passes, and we're heading up. The uh, you have to head up, like I said, stairs, and they're kind of just narrow, just stairs. And I'm walking up, and here comes Glenn from the real world. And if you guys remember the LA season, I think it was like the third season, he was like the long haired rock and roll wannabe guy. And he's got his entourage again, Glenn from the fucking real world, <laughs> Los Angeles, now thinks he has an entourage. Oh, wow! And it's one of those things where you're walking up on one side, and he's walking up on the other side. And it's like, it's just common courtesy. You kind of just move, each move a little bit just yeah. to make sure you got plenty of room. So I tried to do that. And he just is just gets wider yeah. to try and like, like, and like bumps into me. And there's like that type of thing. I just turned around like, are you fucking kidding me? I think I might have actually said, you're Glenn from the real world. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he like stared me down and like they kind of had to like get him away from me, which I'm, I'm, a regret to this day that I didn't get to clock Glenn yeah. from the real yeah. world. And we went up there, all of us, and we all getting 18, 19 year old goofs. And we sit down there and, and poor man comes over to see us. And five minutes later, he's like, Oh, I got some friends here. You want to see, hold on, hold on. Comes over and it's Ron Jeremy <laughs> and porn star, Debbie Dallas or Debbie God. diamond, Debbie diamond. God, that bless. was her name. They come over and Ron Jeremy's just kind of hanging out. And this Debbie, Diamond girl is super skinny. Is she kind of skinny blonde? Yeah, I think she was. Yeah. And Coke to the tits. Yeah. I mean, literally probably Coke on the tits and also Coke to the tits and just decides she takes a liking to me and just Richard, you're an attractive guy. We've established that. I am handsome, but just decides that she's going to start sitting on my lap and you also look like ron jeremy i think we've know that too she might have been might have been a case of a, of a confusion <laughs> just starts grinding on my lap 
Are you serious? Yes. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here like, pro, porn star grinding on my lap. Con, girl I want to start dating, two feet away from me. Yeah. So I had to like navigate that treachery. This story has the theme of you two trying to get your laps free of people or on a lap. Yes, it was lap fest. Lap fest. And so that was kind of like went through the night. Bands all, pretty much all were terrible, Mm -hmm. as you would expect. So like we had like celebrities like Slay Moon Fry coming out to introduce. This was post boop job. Yeah. Punky Brewster. And just all of these like D-list celebrities. It was like comedically bad. Yeah. There was one band that was actually decent, and we'd got to know them pretty well. And so they saw us, and we're like, "Hey, do you guys want to go? We're going to go to. I think it was when Ben Frank Ben Franks was still open, and we're going to go there and get some, uh, you know, late night dinner. You guys want to go? Oh yeah, sure. Head over there, and there's it was like really crowded. There was like one booth that was like left, and it was right next to Ron Jeremy and his group, and we literally were just like you know what, we should get back to the radio station. We're like, yeah, we just got done with the show. Let's get the hell out of here. So, and then that night is when Sarah and I first uh, uh, kind of... Cuddled. Cuddled. Actually, that, that is actually literally what we did. That's awesome. So that, that that's kind of our, our first... That's an auspicious unofficial, unofficial official date. That's awesome. It's on this new On the next episode of Mount Rushmore Podcast, After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I urge you to go to, uh, this go is to a, Doof's this, website. This is about as hot as the HBO like real sex series, or or the uh, <laughs> it's just the, mostly old people getting naked instead of taxi cab confessions, <laughs> it's hatchback confessions, hatchback confessions, <laughs> bus on the breading on the bus confessions. All right, uh, Michael, you go, sir. Uh, my next uh, choice was March fifteenth, two thousand twelve. It was the drums at the El Rey Theater in Los Angeles. Whose drums were they? It was. Oh, oh, mercy. What's the point of that? <laughs> oh, mercy. <laughs> See, you're supposed to be an Abbott and Costello thing. You're supposed to try and tell me. No, they were the drums. What's yes, I know. What's the name of the guy who was playing the drums? Uh, no, was, was it the who? <laughs> the, the, guess the who? Guess who? So we live in L.A. And you uh, alluded to this earlier. Uh, living in L.A., seeing concerts here in venues, sometimes the crowd isn't as enthusiastic as other places maybe it has to do with the fact like you said that they have a thousand things that they could be doing other than going to a concert yet they still go to the concert and sometimes the crowds aren't very dancey they're not very uh active for whatever reason even though they might not be like total shoegazers they're very attentive and very appreciative but not the most enthusiastic not on not my choice when i do get my if i do get my uh, yeah yeah uh choices um an ACDC concert I've been to where I had the feeling that the best seats are given to industry or right. there are people who are there for occupational reasons, not entertainment reasons. Yeah. This, this wasn't one of those shows and I'd never been to a show in LA like this. And Emily and I went, and this is four or five years ago now, this was a crowd that was made up of 18, 19, 20 year olds. I mean, it was a very, it skewed very young and you could feel that it skewed young and energetic and the entire time the crowd was dancing and the drums are of uh they're an indie band but they're like this indie kind of surf pop they're very kind of upbeat at times and the lead singer Jonathan Price is very interest has a very he has like that charismatic on stage presence that is uh Morrissey like but Morrissey like in his prime where he's uh very flouncy on stage and very like you the energy definitely feeds off of him and he feeds off of it and he's kind of aloof and but very but 
very charismatic and very in, intense mm-hmm. and but always dancing, always kind of teasing the crowd. They sent I mean it sounded incredible and intense and the crowd like by the time they got to the last song, uh, the song Let's Go Surfing, the crowd was on stage. The crowd was dancing with them on stage. Like this was their encore and they encouraged it and it was something that you rarely see at a concert. And what was the one that you mentioned earlier? Uh, Mighty Mighty Bostons. Mighty Mighty Bostons where it might have been a bit more prevalent in like the 90s, <clears throat> uh, you know, especially when like had like stage diving. Was yeah, exactly. Like a thing with Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And did whoever. you ever stage dive? No, never. I did. Well, I did several times. I uh, did, did a show at SC. It was a suicidal tendency show. Yeah. And totally did the thing where I stage dove and the crowd like moved, moved right before I oh, got in there and wound up like getting like, you know, giant like, yeah. gash on my elbow. But it was one. It, the show was one of those like faith renewing shows in concerts in LA. And it's like not all of them are the way that. You know, some of them do. I think I mentioned in another uh, episode when uh, we were talking about like bad concert experiences. Uh, th- I saw a two door cinema club at the Hollywood Palladium, and that too was a show like a Verizon commercial where everyone was dancing, everyone right. was into it. I think it was this is around the same time, either the same year or the year before. But this show in particular, I remember we walked out of there being like, "Holy shit!" That was a real concert, and that was a real band that was doing like amazing things, and the crowd was living off of it. And like we took the—I I can't remember if we drove home or took the train home after that. We were just like buzz, like it was it's like such a high. Yeah, when you're buzzing from seeing a concert, you're just like, this is this is why I go to concerts. This yeah, is exactly. Why I, uh, and it was like just one of those that I'll, I'll never like never live down. Saw them a couple like a year or two later. Totally different experience. Right. Saw them at like the Mayan or something in L.A. and we were up high. And not close to the floor, and it was, it was fine. But you can't, it, you can't replicate it. Yeah, but sometimes you see bands a couple times, and you're just like, okay, well, I wish I'd only seen them once. Right. And but that, but that one time we did see them was wild. That's great. All right, Richard, what's your final choice? Then my fourth one is seeing Buck Owens at the All Crystal right. Palace in Bakersfield. Oh wow! I believe it was February 2004 because it was a birthday gift. Because, you know, nothing is more romantic than your wife getting you a trip to Bakersfield for yeah. the weekend. Yeah. But, you know, we went, and I'm a big kind of classic country music fan. My family grew up with it. My mom and dad used to go see Buck Owens pretty much every week, playing up at really? the, bar, the barn in Fresno. You'd wow. see, be able to see him or uh, Merle Haggard or Red Simpson or somebody. So I kind of grew up with that, and I love Buck Owens. I mean, I think it's like kind of the perfect, he had like the perfect mix of... Yeah you know, kind of shit-kicking country, yeah. but also kind of a little bit of a rock edge. Like he had the, the Fender twin reverb. Yeah, song. him and yeah. Don Rich and oh. uh, his guitar player. And like the Beatles would request uh, copies of what he was working on when yeah. they'd come to Capitol Records in Los Angeles. And they'd drop in on each other's sessions. You know, Ringo Starr with the Beatles did, did act naturally, yeah. And so that was one of those like, I just always want to go see Buck Owens. And so what we made, this was our our deal we were going to go do. And he was playing two, you know, three, four shows a week at his crystal palace, um, hotel and, you know, bar and, Mm -hmm. and it, you walk in and it is like, you know, this giant ballroom with all his memorabilia from, from, you know, 40 years of music. And I had had like a, I had made a t-shirt that was basically a, an iron on, but it was of his, Buck Owens and the Buckaroos at Carnegie Hall. Oh, and they've cool. got they've all got those like, you know, nudie 
like suits, incredibly yeah. expensive, shiny yeah. cowboy suits. And I was walking around before the show, and the they had like a little merchandise area. And the woman is like, oh, did you get that here? I said, no, I just made it. She's like, oh, that would be a good idea to do that. Maybe because Buck has all the rights to all of his images. Hmm, I should bring that up to him. I don't know if anything ever happened from that, but if you made a few bucks off of it, yeah. God bless him. Yeah. And the show starts, and at this point, he's like in his mid-70s probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he wound up passing away like about a year later. And he had had... That's when he heard his, his heart was broken because he heard people were counterfeiting shirts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he had like part of his tongue removed at some point. He had had cancer a few years before. And so... I think when Don Rich died too, that was when he wanted to stop performing. Yeah, he too, basically... Yeah. like That's why he stopped for like 10 mm-hmm. years until Dwight Yoakam kind of coaxed him yeah. out of retirement. Yeah. Um, so he had... So he didn't... He, he kind of slurred his speech a little bit because he mm-hmm. was missing part of his song. He could sing just fine. And so he gets up there and just starts, you know, rattling off the hits one after the other. And it was just like, you have a lot of hit singles. Yeah. You have a lot of amazing songs. And he'd get up there and he would, you know, so-and-so from, you know, Turlock has a request for this song. Okay, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, he started to go on a... Well, two things happened. He rapped. I wish. One, um, oh God, I was just talking about this yesterday. Some very famous Hank Snow or somebody was going to be coming. And he basically said, well, you know, you should come see him. He's pretty old. You might not get another chance to see him. Oh, wow. I thought, that's dark. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe technically accurate, but it's pretty dark. (laughs) And then at some point they were playing one song and I think it was... I don't even remember what, how it started, but he went on on an "I'm not kidding" five minute rant about his the future Miss X Buck Owens, which was like number oh, wow. number four oh, wow. that he was just who had just left him, like just filed for divorce like a month yeah. before. And it starts out, and people had always said that Buck <laughs> Owens was a, a kind of a teetotal. Uh-huh. I have proof to the contrary <laughs> in two ways. One. My sister worked in Bakersfield at a nonprofit, and she was at some sort of event with him, and he proceeded to literally drink himself under the table, like physically yeah. under the table. Yeah. And there's no way he was not drunk for this. And it was just, well, it looks like he's going to have to play here for another five years because she's got all the money and oh. all this stuff. And they have like a, the female singer, mm-hmm. whoever the group, kept trying to like, okay, Buck, that's it. Yeah, let me tell you more about her. And he would just do plow right through her <laughs> and so that's just become like a running joke with in in my family now it's just yeah. the uh, buck owens won't shut up about his <laughs> but like yeah then he passed away about a year later so it was like one of those things where it was just like i got the chance to see somebody yeah. at the right time that i always wanted to see and he mm-hmm. put on it a hell of a show yeah i'm envious i always wanted to see him michael your final my final one you talk about like seeing someone at the right time and in um October 13th, 2012, uh, we went and saw David Byrne and St. Vincent at the Greek Theater. Very jealous of the show, by the way. In Los Angeles. And uh, they teamed up to put out an album called Love This Giant that year. It was one of those weird, perfect collaborations that you'll never see again. Like, I don't think they'll do a a follow-up to it. There's no point to it, because David Byrne is pretty eclectic and pretty... 
he kind of just yeah. is always moving forward. He'll do a flag team show or do something with claymation or <laughs> right. hot air balloons. He this was working was, with, with Brian Eno for a while on one thing and then would go off and do weird world music. Yeah. Old crap. And this was before St. Vincent was like St. Vincent, right? She had a couple of albums that had come out and we'd seen her before then. And she was awesome. Mm-hmm. She was an amazing. If you haven't listened to St. Vincent or heard her play guitar, you're missing out. She is wild. She's a virtuoso. I, I would say she is probably the most success- successful former member, former member of uh, uh, Polyphonic Spree. Oh, yeah. She, I mean, she's pretty out there and interesting with her music as it is. And like the combination of them put on a hell of a show. And throughout the concert, they played just a series of either their music together or different, you know, single hits of theirs. And David Byrne obviously did some talking head stuff and, uh, you know, everything from burning down the house to uh, cheerleader and anything that you'd like everything from the, from the album was wild because it was all like not just them singing and playing guitar but he had like they had this brass band as well and this very horn driven and just very like it's a great album and weird and perfect of the moment and like it was one of those like i'm never going to see this again i'm never going to see this combination again i might see him team up with someone else or have you know i saw him at the hollywood bowl a few years before that and uh arcade fire was playing with him and they came on stage and they played this must be the place together and it was nice but it wasn't this concert right and what i thought was really interesting was coming out of that we saw saint vincent later you could see how like his weirdo influence played on her like she got even more weird and like her performance on stage and like other concerts right were a bit more visual and a bit more strange. Yeah, she does that thing where it's like the robot kind of dancing stuff <laughs> yeah, with, with the, the stro- other guitar with the player. Light. Yeah, and like that directly was an effect of probably touring and play, recording music with him for like a year, year and a half. And it was just one of those like, holy shit, that was awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, thanks. <laughs> Now's when the judge gives his pick. But Richard, you had a question. Yeah, I was just wondering. I was curious what everyone's worst show they ever saw was. And I almost put a really bad one on there just as a representative example. I didn't, but I, I have one where I think I was just too young. It was 94. It was Lollapalooza oh. at Cal State Dominguez Hills. I was 14. No. How old was I? 16, maybe 15. Sure. I was 15 years old and I went with my friend Eric and he was a couple years younger and it was, you know, it was a great lineup, Green Day and Smashing Pumpkins and the Verve and Beastie Boys and the Breeders, but we were just a little bit too young to go see that on our own. And I remember like someone offering us weed and I was like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and, like, weed? We, Did you we, call it marijuana? We didn't stay like for the like we were getting picked up by his dad. So we had to leave in the middle of, I can't remember. I think it was the middle of smashing pumpkin set or before we got to green day or something. And, uh, didn't miss much with green day. It was just, it was just hot and kind of miserable and gross. And I would have appreciated if, if I was four years older. Did you say it was a Cal state Dominguez Hills? Yeah. Yeah. That that place, by the way, sorry for everyone in Dominguez Hills, but woof. I mean, it was, it was a hell of an experience, but I just, I was too young for it. Flat out. Jeff, yours. Well, you know, I'll do mine last oh, okay. because mine ties into my best concert. I will do that okay. then. So then mine was seeing Peter Murphy, formerly of the Bauhaus, in Visalia, which is like this small town, not small, it's like, I don't know, 60,000 people, like 
20 miles south of me. Fresno is 20 miles north. And this was the perfect example of an I don't give a shit performance. Oh. Just, you know, he's 45 or whatever he was by that point and just coasting. Yeah. You know, probably just got booked on this stupid show again because he was playing LA the next night and then, hey, yeah. why, not, why not make a few quick bucks? And so the performance wasn't that great. And I'm not a, I mean, I, I like Bauhaus or Peter Murphy enough, but I wasn't like a huge fan to begin with. Yeah. And then every half a song, some goth girl who let's just say was shopping in the torrid stores and not the uh, hot topics. <laughs> if you get my drift, yeah. um, would barge on stage and try to give him a kiss or, you know, grope him or give flowers or just start crying next to him. And he would have, then he'd have to like wave them away and security have to come haul them off. And it was just like, I guys, let's, yeah. it's, it's not, this isn't Elvis here. Yeah. It's a yeah. guy from Bob the Bauhaus. Let's wow. pull it together. That's disappointing. So I'll give my judges choice and then I'll give my worst because they're really tied together. I saw Billy Idol twice in my life. One was in 1984 at the Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas. And so in 1984, I think I'm all of 15 years old. And Billy Idol, uh, it was the Rebel Yell Tour, and he was this huge on MTV. He was kind of the first punk that was sold to middle America. And he was that. He was an idol. And it was so cool to see this guy on stage just owning it. He came out to the Mission Impossible theme, which I thought was really un <laughs> unpredicted because that wasn't punk necessarily, but it was kind of a fun thing. And um, in terms of a concert, it was one of these kind of first kind of big boy experiences I had because there, yeah. there was one of those dudes at the concert who probably doesn't have a ticket. He certainly doesn't show up early to get in the front seat. He's just six foot ten and plows his way past everybody trampling on some little junior high rat like me to get there. So it was, uh, I was drinking in the rich, rich flavor of adulthood. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Billy Idol was amazing. And then I saw him 24 years ago performing for a private event for a company I was working for at SeaWorld in Orlando. And it was raining. With a shamu yell. <laughs> you want, <laughs> Yes. That would have been. <laughs> Oh, that was that's perfect. That's perfect. So he, he was performing in front of like an outdoor in a concert venue that faced like a Shamu tank or something like that. And it was raining all day. And I was part of the team that had basically had to go in and tell Billy it's pay it's play or no pay. So he had to perform. And so Steve Stevens grabs an acoustic guitar and Billy Idol with Sans band, Sans drummer, Sans anything, goes out under a big uh, picnic umbrella type thing and it's pouring down rain and the audience has been waiting there for an hour and does like an acoustic unplugged set like a wet cat. Uh, Billy Idol's, uh, but he's shirtless. He's still looking good for a 93-year-old and he's just selling it. You know, he, he did, did something where he was... He's singing Got to Be a Lover, like an acoustic version of Got to Be a Lover, while he's humping in the shaft of an umbrella. And I just remember thinking, <laughs> you know, this guy was this literally golden idol, and now he's this guy who can't probably go to the next town unless he plays the show. So it was kind of the best and the worst, but then also kind of life-affirming, you know, and he goes to bed at night, he's still Billy fucking idol. <laughs> so there. 
So now is uh, the doobie sonder that I have. These guys always make great arguments to support their choices. And so I, uh, I take this role that I have of judge very seriously. Uh, I've read all your mean things where you say I don't take it seriously, but I do. Starting with Season 2 of Mount Rushmore Podcast, we're going to take a new approach to declaring a winner and giving out points. We're going to pick and choose from the choices that are given by each of our competitors here. Uh, so I, as the judge, will survey what they've put out. And on those four slots on the Mount Rushmore Monument, I'll pick from each gentleman's suggestions. I might pick all four from one of them. I might uh, put one of mine in there. Based on what they presented, I'm just going to really start with some senior statesmen, and that's who belongs up on that monument. I'm a huge, huge Buck Owens fan, and I really dug how Richard kind of set that stage for uh, Buck's declining years, but still in there swinging. So Buck Owens going up on that Mount Rushmore. And then another senior statesman. By the way, we should have some sound effect for this. Yeah. Ding! <laughs> um, that was a stone ding. A big granite ding. More of a dong. Mandong. No comment. Um, uh, so uh, David Byrne and St. Vincent going up there. Uh, this uh, sounds like a great concert experience and somebody who, uh, you know, maybe like Thomas Jefferson was very innovative and very good at uh, helping create a nation, helping recreate music. This guy and gets it. This guy gets it. <laughs> I also really dug this um, uh, Forest Glade festival experience that uh, Michael had one because man you can say you did a lot to go see a show but did you travel around the world and travel for nine hours with a guy who doesn't even speak the English language probably the only European who doesn't speak English unless he was faking it so he didn't have to talk to a sweaty teenager <laughs> um, and then I really really uh, liked that this the kind of pathos exhibited by Richard and his mighty mighty boss <laughs> story so each of these gentlemen gets two points on the uh, tally board. Two places on the Rushmore. Two places on the Rushmore. So, uh, This has been the special concert issue of the Mount Rushmore podcast. I have been Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. That's right. The last remember how last year ended with like a fuck 2016 and everyone is angry. <laughs> but listen, 2017 is looking awfully bright, you guys. <laughs>